We are in the uh, con- like concluding a series that we've called Follow over the past four weeks now. And uh, essentially, we've been asking this question. And uh, I, for me, it's been very interesting. Um, it, and it's this, what if we stripped away all of the religion and man-made kind of expectations and rules and social constructs that we've kind of added to the definition of what it means to follow Jesus over the past, you know, 2,000 years? And, and what if we stepped into the shoes of the first closest followers of Jesus? Like what if we, we read the Bible and read through the Gospels, almost like putting ourselves into the crowd of people that were following him and not just reading kind of the words, it's like words on a page of an ancient book, but really like placing ourselves in there saying, what would that have been like to truly hear those words and not just hear them, but, but have them resonate in us and have to find a place to rest on the inside of us? So that's what we've talked about over the past four weeks, and um, as I was preparing this week, you know, I was realizing that this is, this is certainly one that, uh, that we're all, all going to be able to relate to. Um, why? Because we, we all have insecurities. Raise your hand if you have insecurities. Just a few of you. Okay, good. The rest of you are like, I totally got this life thing. Got it nailed down. If you need some help, I'm a life coach, right? Like, uh, <laughs> We, we all have insecurities. We all have these questions that we, that we wrestle with, whether we like to admit it or not. It's these questions of worth. Like, do I have what it takes? Um, am I accepted? Am I worthy of love? Am I worthy, worthy of forgiveness or blessing or grace? Those are the questions that, that roll around in us, not just as children, but as adults at, of any age. Uh, we have these questions of, of, of worth and insecurities. And it's not the fact that, like, do you have insecurities or not? It's, it's the reality of, like, what do you do with those insecurities that really makes the difference? And, and as I think about it, like, I think sometimes we try to mask them. You know, we'll put on a mask and, and act like everything's fine, or we try to drown our insecurities with this kind of false pride. Or for some of us, maybe we try to run after something that we're really good at, like, or, or maybe we try to for a rank or a title or a position or something that will define who we are, that, that we're good enough, and maybe it will overcompensate for our insecurities. It's what we, we, we tend to, to run after. Because you all know somebody, nobody in here, of course, but like you know someone that, that like they, they can't stop talking about themselves. You ever know somebody like that? <laughs> wow, none of you know that person? That's not good news for you. I'm just going to say it. Not good news. We all know someone who's their their favorite topic of conversation is me, right? Like, they want to talk about themselves. They'll be yapping, yapping, yapping. They're like, okay, enough about me. Let's talk about me, right? Like, they're just, you know somebody in your life. Maybe they're sitting next to you. I don't know. Maybe that's why you're not wanting to raise your hand. But at first glance, you look at people like this, or you're in a conversation with them, and you're an hour in, and they're still talking about themselves. They've yet to ask you how you're even doing. And you think, like, man, how are they so, like, they're so prideful. They're like, their favorite conversation, all they want to talk about is themselves. And I'd like to say that, really, they're probably just, like, a lot like you and me. Like, they're just simply, like, insecure, craving for acceptance, for you to notice them, to recognize and to ascribe value in their life. Like, just crying out, will you please validate me? They're, they're, they're probably a lot like, like you. And what we find, and this is good news, 
As we look through the Gospels, as we follow these Christ followers, as we read through the stories of the people that were closest to Jesus and following him, they're a lot like you and me. These guys are full of insecurities. They don't know what to do with themselves sometimes, and they're always questioning and wondering, do I have what it takes? Am I worthy? Uh, where, where do I rank in this? Where's my position? Where's my title? All of these types of things. Time and time again, we find that even though they're following Jesus, they're also being overrun by insecurities. And I think that Peter, he says this thing that sums it up so well. Uh, Jesus just gets done telling the rich young ruler, you know, the, the guy that comes up and says, what must I do for, for eternal life? And Jesus essentially says to him in the end, go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Right after that, Matthew 19, verse 27, this is in the message paraphrase, Peter chimes in. The guy just leaves. Peter chimes in and this is what he says. Um, well, well we, we left everything and followed you. Well, what do we get out of it? <laughs> uh, excuse me, like, we did what that guy was supposed to do, like, but I was wondering, like, what about me? What, what, what's, 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 what's in it for me? And what I love about Peter is that he just says what we only think. Like, I love that he just like, blah, just comes out and we're just like, man, this guy's, a, this guy's a hot mess, only to realize that we're just like him. We just don't have the guts or the discretion sometimes to just say what is on our minds. He's saying like, Jesus, I'm following you, but what about me? Like, I'm really, I'd like to talk more about me right now. Like, I, okay, I'll go sell, follow, yes, that. But, like, I just would like to know where, where, where the payoff's going to come here. Because I think that sometimes we can be following Jesus and following him selfishly. Now, and I say that, it's like, man, wow, just beat me over the head, Justin. Like, this is, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that, you're, that it's being evil or wrong. It's just real. It's just understanding that there's a part of us that's following Jesus selfishly. How do I know this? Because most of you didn't start following Jesus thinking about following Jesus. You started following Jesus, why? Because someone gave you an option maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, and they're like, would you like to burn in the internal fires of hell or would you like to go to heaven? And you're like, heaven. Is that right? Yeah, like I did this. I wanted to avoid hell, so therefore I'm following Jesus, right? Or, or maybe for some of you, you're in a worship service and God just like overtook you. His spirit overtook you with its grace and this love and this mercy. And oh my goodness, it was so amazing. And you just wanted to just more of this. God, what do I have to do to just be able to have this more often? Like here's the reality is that most of us didn't start following Jesus thinking about following Jesus. We went, why? Because we're consumers, we wanted what Jesus was offering. And it's not bad or evil. It's just real. That we all come because his, he's so stinking amazing. Like, okay, I don't have to go to hell? Okay. Oh, he's so amazing? Okay, I want more of this. And so we're drawn to this love and this grace and this, this mercy. The problem is, is that as we begin to now follow him, like, I'll follow you anywhere. Okay, then come, follow me. I didn't really want to go that way. You said you wanted to follow me. I know, but I just didn't want to burn in hell. Well, this is kind of what this looks like, so come on, right? And as we start to follow him, I don't know about you, but like my heart echoes the same thing that, that, that Peter says. He's like, I'm following you, Jesus, but like what's in it for me? 
not like bad. I'm just kind of wondering, like, I'm giving up a lot here for you. So, like, what is in it for me? And we start out as consumers. And I'm, this is what the closest followers of Jesus seem to perseverate on a lot. And I'm so glad that, like, after 2,000 years, we have finally overcome it. Right? Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Um, I'm going to warn you, uh, I need you to work with me and, um, because we're going to be quickly moving through Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10 together. You're like, there's no notes and fill in the blanks. I'm sorry, it's just a blank page today. Um, it's more of a journey than it is all these, these points to, to the sermon today as the Lord was just downloading some stuff on me. Um, normally I'd have you stand and be like, okay, let's stand for the reading of God's word, but I, you'd literally be standing the entire time, and that would be horrible to do to you because standing the entire sermon would be rough. <laughs> I mean, your feet would hurt, and I would I'd be like, oh, it's too bad. Sorry. <clears throat> so I won't make you stand. Let's just pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you just continually show up in our life. And it doesn't matter kind of where we're at. You continually speak into where we're at. And so God, as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that you would reveal our own hearts, even our own selfishness, and reveal that not just so that you can point at it and condemn us and shame us, but that so you can show us what it truly looks like to follow you. And it might be hard, and it's certainly not going to be necessarily that easy, but it is simple. And so, God, we just thank you for revealing your heart to us. Give us the strength to continue to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Mark chapter 9. Um, like I said, kind of listen quickly with me. Um, Mark chapter 9, Jesus spends some quality time, sit, like a sit-down time, with his disciples. And he tells them uh, yet again. So he'd already told them once, but he tells them again, um, hey, hey guys, like time is short and I just want you to know like pretty soon I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Um, so I know I said this before, guys, but you were on your phones so you weren't listening. But like I want you to catch this again. Like this, isn't, this is important. So Jesus is sharing some pretty serious stuff. You're like, Justin, you're being a little flippant about this. I just want you to understand what, what we're about to walk into. Think about this. The Messiah, the guy that they had been following now for almost three years, is telling them, hey, guys, it's not going to go all that well from here on out. Like, this has been all unicorns and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I'm just telling you, from here on out, it's going to get a little sticky. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And I know I said this before, but I just want you to understand this. And the Bible says that the disciples were still confused and yet too afraid to ask Jesus for more information. So these guys are like, oh, okay, that, oh, okay, that's what's going to happen. But they don't want to ask Jesus any, for any more information. Have you ever had bad, bad news and then you don't want to really ask for a clarifying question about bad news? You ever been there? You're like, I think the thumbnail sketch of bad news is probably enough. Like, I don't really need to know more about the bad news. This is kind of where they're at. So they don't ask Jesus more. Could you tell me more about the arresting and killing and all that kind of stuff? They just start talking amongst themselves. They're whispering. They're like, hey, did you, yeah, when he said this, did you hear that? Did you know? Did you know? And then they start arguing. And you're not going to imagine 
what they're arguing about. We pick it up in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Jesus has this conversation. Sit down. Boys, listen. This is what's going to happen. Then they start walking to Capernaum. When, he, when they get to Capernaum, when he is in the house, he asks them this question. Um, hey, what were, you, uh, what were you arguing about on the road? Uh, nothing, Jesus. We're just arguing about how awesome it is to follow you. Thomas said, I doubt it, and I told him, shut up, Thomas. Right? Like, we weren't nothing really. You could read it. Verse 34, but they kept quiet. Nothing. We're good. Because on the way, look what they were arguing about. Right after Jesus tells them about all this craziness it's about to walk into, on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Jesus tells them about the horrible things that he's about to enter into. No questions. Any questions, guys? Nope. We're good. And as they're walking along the road, they're like, Jesus likes me more than you. No, he doesn't. He said that he not only loves me, but he likes me. John, he says that to everybody. Like, and they start arguing back and forth about like jockeying for position. Like, who's the one that Jesus likes more than all of all of them? It's like, this is what they're concerned about. After Jesus tells them like, some pretty heavy news, they're like, hey, what about me? Like, what's in it for me? I, I, I understand this whole like death killing thing. I don't really want to ask any more questions about this. I, I really want to know more about what, what's going to happen with me. Like, how is this all going to work out for me? And Jesus has so much patience, much more than I do, probably more than you do. He sits them all down in verse 35. Just keep following along with me. Sitting down, Jesus calls the 12, and this is what he says. Because he knows what they were talking about, because he's Jesus. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he's like, I don't think they're getting it. So he's like, they need an illustration. So he takes a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. In other words, he's like, hey guys, y'all want to be first place? Take the last place. You want to know who's going to be the, who's the greatest, who I love the most, who, who's the greatest among you? Leverage all that you have and be the greatest servant of all. And you think like, okay, they're finally getting it. They're like, okay, probably some bobblehead. Okay, I think I understand what he's saying. Apparently not. Apparently not because John, this very next verse, just as Jesus finishes this great illustrated sermon, he even has a cute little kid. And they're like, ah, right? He's got a cute little kid and he's talking about servanthood and what it means to be great in the kingdom and all of these things. John pipes up out of nowhere with this little gem. This is what he says in verse 38. You can't even make this stuff up. Teacher? Excuse me, Teacher? Yes, John. It's John, the one you love. John, I love all of you. I know, but you told me, didn't you? Yep, you told me. He says, um, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And uh, we, we told him to stop it because he's not one of us. Okay. 
In other words, um, teacher, uh, I, I just wanted to say you're welcome. You're welcome because I saw a guy um, who's, who, 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 who was casting out demons, and he's not really following us. In fact, he was doing it in your name, and there's got to be like some intellectual property things going on there. So I told him, no, you can't do that because you're not with us. You're welcome. Continue with your teaching. Just wanted to throw that in. And I can only imagine what Jesus' face must have looked like. Like, Lord, God, well, are, you, are you serious right now? Like, this is the, these, this is the group. These people are going to change the world. And this is the guy. This, really. Verse 39. Jesus looks at them and he says, Do not stop them. Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. He's teaching them something about following him. He's saying, the world will teach you that you've got to surround yourself with people who look like you, act like you, believe like you, walk like you, talk like you, dress like you. But he's saying, but following me means that you have to walk with people that, you, that you'd rather not walk with. Following Jesus means that sometimes you've got to walk beside someone that you probably wouldn't choose to walk next to. And you're sitting next to them. This is awkward. But that's the truth. There are some times where you're like, I, I'd rather not be around this. They don't seem to be numbered. In fact, we just figured out I'm number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. This is the ranking. We've been walking in single file just like this because we figured out our rank. And this guy is not in our rank, and we don't have room. There's not 13 disciples, there's only 12. So we told him, no, get out of here. You, you, you can't be a part of this. And I think this is where the, the followers of Jesus have gotten off track. I, and I would, I would say that 2,000 years later, this is where the followers of Jesus get off track. How do they do this? Well, they confuse two different things, preferences and absolutes. Preferences. Let me, let me define preferences for you. Preferences are things like, um, well, I like hymnals. Why aren't there hymnals in this church? We don't like hymnals. We want a band. The drums are from the devil, right? Like, and so, I, well, that's a preference. Okay, so you like this, you don't like this. Well, well, uh, I like stained glass and steeples. I, well, I like warehouses with lipstick. Okay, well, that's a preference. You're like, wow, well, there's a cross in here. Like, it's, okay, it's a preference. Well, I like pews. Well, I like chairs, right? Well, I think you should dress up when you come to church. I think you should come as you are when you come to church. I think the light should be lighter in here, don't you think? I think the light should be dimmer in here, don't you think? Right? These are preferences. These are things that like, are very important to us. I'm not trying to minimize those things. Please. You're like, I'm leaving right now, right? <laughs> these are real. These are things. These are preferences, but they're not absolutes. Absolutes are non-negotiables. Absolutes are things like heaven and hell, and we believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe that he is yet alive and at work in our lives, that he is not some deaf, mute idol that we worship to that died 2,000 years ago. Those are absolutes. 
And when the followers of Jesus get off track is when we begin to turn our preferences into our absolutes. Well, you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. And last thing I knew, there wasn't 13 disciples. There was 12. Get out of here. And we turn our preferences into absolutes. We start to pay more attention to the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us. And the church has been struggling with this ever since these yahoos were around. And so you would think, after all of this, that, that they would be like, okay, we get it. Thank you, Jesus. We needed that, you know, for you to just explain that to us one more time. In Mark chapter 10, one chapter later, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. The disciples are following him. I don't know if they're still in, like, line. What? You're six. I'm seven. Right? Like, split. I don't know how they're walking. But for the third time, the third time, Jesus takes his disciples aside and he tells them what's going to happen. Hey, guys, I know I've told you once. I know I've told you twice. I just want to remind you we're heading to Jerusalem. There's going to be some things. It's, it's going to feel like the wheels are coming off. Like, I, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be flogged. And then I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Okay. And they do it again. As soon as they start feeling insecure or like the future seems a bit uncertain, a lot uncertain, they start thinking about themselves again. They start thinking about their, their prestige and their position and their power and they're thinking about the 401k and this new kingdom health plan. Is this going to be full dental or are we going to have to pay into it? Like, I mean, what is this going to look like, Jesus? Like, and Jesus must look, what are you guys talking about? They start jockeying for position again. Except you think that they'd get smarter about it. You think that like, okay, I don't think Jesus likes it when we start asking questions about ourselves and like, what's this going to look like? After two times of doing this, you'd think they'd be like, we need to be a little more sly about this. But apparently not. Because James and John show up with a plan. They get Jesus alone. We can read it. Mark chapter 10, verse 36. Or verse 35, excuse me. Then James and John... The sons of Zebedee, Jesus just told them about all the things that are going to be happening. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, <laughs> teacher, they said, and I love this. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. If, you've have ki if you have kids, you understand exactly this question. Dad, I'm going to ask you something, but I want you to say yes now. Before, it will go a lot quicker, Dad, if you just say yes now, and then I'll tell you what I want, and then, then we can move forward. This is essentially, I mean, this is as childish as it gets. Let's just be real. We want you to say yes first. And at first you can think like, I can't even believe that how presumptuous they are. Like, I can't even believe that they, they would even like come to Jesus with this, with this declaration. And then I think, how many times have I done that? I mean, I mean, how many times have I literally prayed that? I mean, maybe, maybe not exactly, but almost. Like, God, I, 
I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. I'm going to feed the coin in the machine, pick what I want, and you're going to give me the soda that I chose. That's how this thing works, God, respectfully. I want you to do whatever it is that I ask you. And verse 36, he's, if you need some parenting help, verse 36, Jesus is a good dad. He says this, what, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. In other words, what's the question first, boys? And they replied, well, <clears throat> let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. In other words, we're just calling shotgun. And, um, you know, you can make a choice. It's up to you, Jesus. The choice is yours. It could be John or James. I mean, it's your choice. One, one of the two of us should probably sit on either your right or your left. Now, we find out in the Gospel of John, and I don't have time to go into all the, all the different scriptures. You can look this up and, 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 and decide if you want to you take a peek at this. But here's the thing. We find out in the Gospel of John that it wasn't simply these two brothers who came up with this request. In John's version of, of this whole interaction, we find out that it was actually their mom who did it. Like, are you kidding me? Your mom is asking Jesus this? Like, I don't even know what that even looks like. James and John must be sitting there like... And their mom is going up to Jesus saying, hey, these are my two boys. I just would like to say, Jesus, if you could pick one of the other, they're great boys, right? Like, are you kidding? Like, who is this woman? You're kidding me right now. John tells this story. It's like James and John, it's actually their mother who does the talking. Comes out and are you, what? What? And we find out who she is. You're like, who is this woman? How in the world does she think that she could go up and say this to Jesus? Well, we find out through, if you actually fast forward through all the Gospels and you look at Jesus hanging on the cross and the people that were there at the foot of the cross, we see in one Gospel that she was called the mother of the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? We see in another Gospel, through deduction, that her name is Salome. Her name is Salome. We see in yet another gospel that she's not just the mother of the sons of Zebedee and her name is Salome, but she's actually, catch this, Jesus' mother's sister. So in other words, it's Jesus' aunt coming up and saying, listen, Jesus, you know, I'm sure you remember me changing your diapers. Right? No, I don't. Well, I did. It was not easy sometimes. But I was thinking that, you know, Jesus, I'm sure you can agree that we should keep this whole thing within the family. I mean, James and John, these are your cousins, part of the family, right? Like, we should keep this thing in the family. And Jesus is so gracious, and he looks at him, and, and this is what he says in verse 38. He says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> Have you ever asked God for something? And you got it all figured out. Like in your mind, you're like, man, I got this all figured out. This is how God's going to solve my problem. This is how he's going to provide. This is how it's going to happen. I've got it all figured out. If God could just do this, 
Lord, if you would just give me that wife, Lord, if you could just give me this husband, if you could just give me this job, give me this promotion, I want one of those just like my friend does. If you could get me into this college or that college, God, I figured it all out. In fact, I took notes. This is how you're going to fix my problem. Have you ever asked God for something and he didn't give it to you? And instead, he looks and he says, you don't know what you're asking. I'm pretty sure I do. Pretty sure, actually. I've thought this out, Jesus, okay? I've got it all figured out how you're going to make this happen. So if you could just depend on my wisdom, then that would probably be a whole lot better. But Jesus is saying, look, no, 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 you're praying your own will, telling me, that I have to do whatever you tell me to do. And Jesus says to this family, and sometimes to us, you don't know what you're asking for. And sometimes following Jesus means realizing that his will is far better than our wills. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. And sometimes it means he says no. Or you don't quite know what you're asking for. And as I reflect on these words, aren't you glad that there are some things in your life as you look back that God didn't give you? He didn't give you everything that you asked for. Aren't you glad that even though you thought you knew what was going to make you happy, like you knew that this was the guy. You knew that, that she was the girl. You knew that this relationship was the one. You knew that, that you needed this job or this career change and this is what needed to happen. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just give you whatever you thought was going to fix your problem? And maybe you're in the situation right now and you're like, no. In fact, because I'm at currently asking him for something that I have not yet received. And I, there are times where his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And it doesn't make sense to us because I got it all figured out. I got a budget. I made an Excel spreadsheet, Jesus. Let me prove to you. And he says, I, you, just, you don't know what you're asking for. Because God's no to our wills is ultimately God's yes to his will and his best for our lives. Do we trust him? Like, is that okay? Is that okay with you? Are you willing to trust him even when, even when you don't understand? Because God may be saying, you don't know what you're asking for. I know that you think that this is the thing that's going to fix the problem, but I have something so much better for you. I know you've been waiting. I know you've been, I know, but I have something so much better. In verse 38, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, and then he continues. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Look, at, these guys have been confused this far. I'm sure they were confused at this. I can only imagine these two brothers looking at themselves completely confused. Like, I just, is that a yes? Like, yeah, uh, I'll do the, he can do the drink and I'll do the baptism thing. I don't know what that means, but like, we're in it to win it, Jesus. Yes, 
We can do the drink and the baptism thing. Yes. And Jesus follows up and he says in verse 39, Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the, baptize, with the baptism I'm baptized with. What did he know? He knew that they would know what it was to suffer for Jesus. In fact, you look at these two guys, James and John. James would be the first one to be martyred. He was beheaded. John would be the last one to die. They would try to boil him alive. He wouldn't die, so they would sentence him to exile on the island of Patmos. And Jesus reminds them in verse 40, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Meanwhile, the, the other 10 disciples that aren't part of this conversation, I don't know, they're probably praying <laughs> and um, overhearing this conversation with the mom and the two boys and Jesus. The Bible says in verse 41, when they, the, the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, why were they angry? They weren't angry because James and John and their mom were asking such a presumptuous and self-serving question. They were angry because James and John and their mom were asking a presumptuous and self-serving question first. You can't call shotgun. Like, we all got to see the car. We're not even there. You, you can't. Like, they're upset that, that James and John are coming to Jesus and, and calling this thing first. They're like, no fair. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Verse 42. Jesus calls them all together because he's like, oh my goodness, you guys, come on, guys. All right, come on, circle time, circle time. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Is that what you think following me is all about? Like calling shotguns so you get to sit up front with me? Or thinking that you're going to have a position or a power or a seat or some sort of royalty where you can lord your authority and your power over people? Like, is, what, have I, what have I even talked to you over the past three years to make you think that this is what we're ending with? Like, this is what you think following me looks like? And then he says these four words that have just echoed in my spirit all week long. And he says this, not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus is teaching them something about following him that goes diametrically opposing to our world. Verse 43, he says this. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever, catch this, I, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all? What? Following Jesus must be you mean a slave of what does that even mean? A slave of all. So I looked it up. It's that same word we talked about week one as we're talking about following. Doulos. Slave. As we call him our, 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 our Lord, our Kurios, that we are his doulos. 
And, and, and they got to be questioned, like, okay, I understand that you're like our Lord, and, and maybe we're supposed to be servants or whatever, slaves to you, but like slave of all? Like to everyone? Like to this punk? The guy sitting next to me that's like, I'm number one, he's fought five, six, Bartholomew's 12, are you kidding me? Because he doesn't even speak. I got to be a servant to him? He should be serving me. And Jesus is communicating something to them that is far deeper and goes right to the heart, I believe, of, of myself and for most of us, that there is a difference between serving and being a servant. There is a difference between being, you know, like he doesn't call us to just look for opportunities to serve. He calls us to be servants. Serving is an act, but being a servant is a lifestyle. And Jesus is saying, like, if you're following me, you don't get to just, you're not looking for opportunities to serve. A servant is who you are. The world teaches you that, like, if you're in charge and greatness looks like you leading from the top down, so you get to lord authority over people. You're the boss. You're in charge. I call the shots. This is what you do. But Jesus is communicating yet again. If you want to follow me, you lead from the bottom up. You serve. You leverage your gifts. You work to leverage that which I've given you to be a servant of all. And so that means that we don't get to, you know, come and serve at church and yet not serve our family. It means we can't go and, and serve our boss at work and, and yet not serve our spouse. It's not like, I, I, I like this opportunity to serve, but I, I don't like that opportunity to serve. Like, we are called to be servants. Servant leadership is how Jesus communicates what it means to be great. And it means serving those that are above us and those that are below us the exact same way. And I think that question still rolls around in us. Okay, Jesus, I'm following you, but like, what about me? Like, what about, what about me? And it's not that Jesus doesn't value it. He's just saying, do you trust me that I'm good, that I'm always good? that my ways and my heart and my will for you is good? Or are you going to continue to hold on to it, thinking, oh, I, gotta, I can handle this. I'm going to handle this stress. I'm going to handle these demands. I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to handle this. And just like Zach said during worship, are you willing to allow me to come into the middle of it? To be present in all of it. Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, like, um, concludes this whole teaching with um, essentially describing who he is and what he came to do. In verse 45, he says this, For even the Son of Man, him, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I would say, you know, when, when, when we're in a place where you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm giving too much or I'm, I'm serving too much, I'm loving on someone, it's just too much, or, you know, I'm, I'm giving too much in my marriage and, and, I'm, and I'm not getting anything in return. And we're kind of like keeping track of what we're doing and what they're not doing and do they deserve this and do they not deserve this. I would say you may have lost focus on how Jesus has served you. 
And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm just saying if we keep our eyes set on him, I know that there are inequities in the world. There are times when you're given 110%. And Jesus says, look, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. And I think that many times our unwillingness to be a servant comes from our unbelief in what Jesus has done for us. That his sacrifice was enough. Because as long as we're keeping score of the things that you or I do to serve, you're completely forgetting what Jesus has done for you. And let me just remind you, like on the cross, Jesus won through dying. Did he not? Like, I mean, he, he achieves power through weakness. He comes to rise through serving. He's victorious through what would seemingly be defeat. He comes to greatness by giving it all away. He, he, he is literally, he outserves anyone. And I can't do what Jesus has done until I understand what Jesus did for me. So I want to ask you as we enter into this last worship song before you leave today, like, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is there an area of your life that maybe you've been holding on to, not allowing God to get into, but essentially holding out, like, kind of like what the disciples or their mom were saying to them, like, I want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Is there an area of your life that you've just been holding on to saying, God, I know that I, I think that I, I have this all figured out, but I trust you. I trust that your ways are greater than mine. I trust that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I trust you that you're good, that you're not just good, that you're good all the time. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Because the longer I follow Jesus, the more I, my, my prayer seems to be, Lord, I want what you want more than I want what I want. I mean, there are times where I just wake up, Lord, <laughs> I'm reminding myself as much as I am reminding you, I want what you want more than what I want what I want. And there are some days, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't want what he wants. I don't want to say those things. I don't want to do these things. I don't want to put up that boundary. I, I, I don't want to turn away from that. I don't want to hold my tongue. I don't want to serve someone who doesn't deserve it. I want to go when he says stay or stay when he says go. And very, very honestly, sometimes it's just, Lord, I want to want what you want more than I want what I want. Don't make me say that again. Lord, I do though. God, there's something on the inside of me that like just, Lord, I pray, I, that needs to be my prayer that I want to want what you want more than I want what I want. Because your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. And so I just want to encourage you, as we enter into this song of worship, if there's an area of your life that you, you, you know, you've just been holding on to, maybe you've been seeking him and, and bringing it to him. God, you got it all figured out. This is how he's going to fix it. This is how he's going to make it happen. And he's just looking at us. Maybe he's saying to you and, you, and it's just been rolling around in you. You don't know what you're asking for. I've got something so much better. And as you're continually holding on to this being, having to be the answer, I'm just telling you, I've got something different for you.
Lord Jesus, I just proclaim again, as we did during our worship, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Lord, I pray for newness. I pray for restoration. Lord, I pray that you would bring, take those, those, those pieces, those shatteredness of, of, of our lives, whether that's been done to us or, or mistakes and sins that we've done, Lord, that you would make a sweet mosaic out of them, make something beautiful out of something that's ugly. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that maybe walked in today saying, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it. The kingdom of God has come near to you this morning. Go, take it with you because it's portable. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would get down on the inside of us, that as your Holy Spirit resides in a person, that we don't need to even just come to church to find it. Lord, that we can stir ourselves up like, like, like Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gifts of God that are inside of us. Lord, we trust, we trust you that we can find you in the nasty now and now in our days as we go about our week. Lord, that you would rest with us. Give us rest. Lord, we thank you that you are more than enough. You're the answer to all of our problems. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.